Welcome to Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Clink. And I am Troy Harkin. And this is our fifth episode. We are looking at The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We have a special guest, novelist and hitchhiker fan, Ira Naiman. And, you know, David, we love our fans so much. And we call our fans Toffees for two old fart ease. Um, so, you know, we love our toffees and, and we like to spoil our toffees because we love them so much. So toffees, I want you to know there will be spoilers because we like to spoil you. So th- look, consider that a spoiler alert. There will be spoilers. Um, thanks a lot, Troy. In the interest of transparency, I have known Ira for many years. Let's introduce our special guest. Ira Naiman writes speculative humor. His seventh novel, Bad Actors, the Alien Refugees Trilogy, Second Pie in the Face, will be published later in 2021 by Elswim Press. By the way, pie is spelled P-I. He will also be self-publishing his 12th original alternate reality news service collection. Welcome to the insurrection. The inconvenience is the point. And the second Arn's Omnibus Advanced Idiotocracy for Dummies. For two and a half years, Ira was the editor of Amazing Stories magazine. Yes, that Amazing Stories magazine. Welcome, Ira. Ah, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Good to have you. Um, before we get into The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Troy and I would like to know about your early genre loves and all-time faves. This is something we'll like to ask our guests. We want to know how you were first introduced to genre, whether it be the written word or its cinematic universe. Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi is a look back to when we fell in love with genre, to recall these times with fondness and affection. And I think Albert Camus said it best when he said, every act of rebellion expresses a nostalgia for innocence and an appeal to the essence of being. Ira, what was your first genre memory? Well, it depends on which genre we're actually talking about. Um, I would say it was probably uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll, uh, which I read when I was quite young. But as I tell people, I was actually a uh, mystery geek before I was a speculative fiction geek. And so around the same time, I was also reading Sherlock Holmes short stories. Okay. And what was the first genre thing that you fell in love with and why? Um, again, I, I would say uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Um, there was something about the the absurdity of it. There was something about all the wordplay. Um, there was just a, a, a joyous ridiculousness to it that uh, that attracted me immediately. Ira, what's your favorite genre of film? Two thousand and one, A Space Odyssey, hands down. That's- that's it's uh, running the table here at uh, Two Old Farts. What's your favorite uh, genre TV show? Well, this is probably going to sound familiar to your listeners as well, but uh, The Prisoner. Um, I just find it amazing. I just rewatched the entire series, and uh, I'm still finding new things to learn about it every every time I view it. Now, uh, still within the realm of television, what's your all-time genre TV episode, a single standalone episode as we're looking for? 
probably Dance of the Dead from uh, The Prisoner. Um, it's so rich in, in imagery. The dialogue is, is just fantastic. Um, it's just a really, really fascinating thing to watch. How about favorite genre novel? Novel, well, yeah, again, that depends on how we define genre. Um, uh, my favorite novelist uh, is Thomas Pynchon, who's usually considered a um, literary author, but there's always fantastic elements in his stories. So something like um, uh, Against the Day would be um, probably my favorite. However, uh, if he doesn't qualify, then uh, something considered more traditionally favorite would be something like Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut. Okay, now we're looking for your favorite genre shorter work. Um, as you might imagine, I I'm really invested in humor, so um, it would be either something by uh, Keith Lommer in his uh, Ratif series, or perhaps um, uh, something from uh, Spider Robinson's Callahan's Bar series. All right, thanks. How about your favorite genre author? Uh, again, Thomas Pynchon. Uh, but if he doesn't qualify, uh, Douglas Adams and Kurt Vonnegut, certainly high up there. And do you have a favorite uh, genre concept or theme? Um, yeah, this is something I explore a lot in my own work because I deal a lot with, with the multiverse and alternate worlds. Um, I believe that every genre has kind of a, um, a thematic built into it, whether or not you, um, whether or not an author specifically explores that, it's always kind of there in the background. And uh, when we deal with alternate worlds, I think the theme that really comes out is how uh, choice and chance uh, make us the people that we are. Uh, and you can see this because, of course, we have alternates where we had different choices or we made different choices, uh, and they ended up making us different people. So uh, that's a theme that's always fascinated me. This one is, uh, you know, not as easy for some folks, but how about a favorite genre, theater, production, or musical? This one actually was really straightforward for me. Um, I immediately uh, came to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. We're moving on to your favorite comic book series or graphic novel. Um, I bounce between two. Um, Watchmen, uh, obviously, in the way it uh, it interrogates what it what the comic universe actually is. Uh, but also, I have to say, I'm really, really fond of uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. And lastly, how about your favorite genre poem? Oh, this is the one that gave me the most difficulty. But then, um, as uh, David pointed out to me before the show started, um, Lewis Carroll is full of poetry. Uh, I would go with Jabberwocky just because the, the word wordplay is so wonderful. But uh, Walrus and the Carpenter and others are also really quite wonderful. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ira. Um, we're going to go on to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, Troy Harkin will give us some background, set it in context before we get into a full discussion on it. So take it away, Troy. Well, I've got to tell you, David, I did a lot of research this week for Hitchhiker's Guide. Um, checked out a lot of sources, primarily the Encyclopedia Galactica. Um, and, uh, and this is what I have for you. 
The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was originally written by Bertolt Brecht under the pen name Douglas Adams after he left the Beatles in 1970. H2G2 was intended as the centerpiece of a musical trilogy that included the Three Penny Opera and Manos, The Hands of Fate. The story revolves around the exploits of venture capitalist and extreme sports spelunker Virgil T. Cragcream and his subterranean associates Mac the Knight, Chippy Malone, and Stormy Tempest. The following names are suggested work for the reason that their contributions to the story may be understood and appreciated by children. Vlad the Impaler, Fatty Arbuckle, Gordon Lightfoot, Bodie McBoatface, Robert Oppenheimer, Alexei Sale, the Flying Nun, and Ford Prefect. The narrative of H2G2 in broad strokes tells the tale of two young chimpanzees marooned on an ice float in Manitoba. With neither the guidance nor the restrictions of society, emotional and physical changes arise as they barter cyber currency on the black market and fall in love. Fortunately, with the help of Elon Musk, they're able to board a spaceship and travel back to Los Angeles circa 1973. Finding no reason to stay, they head deep into the furthest regions of the galaxy where they fight a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. The original story contained unbearable sexual tension, so a personal computer named Gertrude was added. This only enhanced the sense of lusty menace, much to the approval of the H2G2 fan base. The original Hitchhiker's Guide musical went on to spawn a radio adaptation, a Bengali television series, a feature film, a subdivision near Surrey, a fabulous brocade tablecloth, a line of pop-up greeting cards for the hearing enabled, and an upcoming mini-series of puppet shows in David's backyard. What started off as a loyal following of Hitchhiker's Guide fans has over the years become a legion of zealot-like believers who are waiting for the return of Ziggle Zaggle, the poof-tart, a.k.a. Lippy Nipslip. Orthodox H2G2 faithful, twice a day strip naked and cleanse their entire bodies with wet wipes while obsessively reciting the seven times table and quoting lines from the original musical, which they consider the only version of Hitchhiker's Guide that is canon. Occasionally, Douglas Adams has been lured into an empty white cell containing only a laptop computer, where he is enticed with small wedges of old cheddar cheese to write pithy sequels to his original story. On several occasions, Adams has also written for Inspector Spacetime, his favorite television show from his childhood in Bavaria. On these occasions, he has also been paid in dairy products. Adams today lives in an Arizona trailer park with a large aquarium full of fish where he tweets regularly about his dislike of the desert heat and human beings in general. And David, that in a vulgar nutshell is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, thanks a lot, Troy. Um, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the alternate timeline from the Encyclopedia Galactica, but... I mean, I we can don't give you... trust. Yeah, we don't trust the Encyclopedia Galactica that much, do we? All right, all right. Then. Well, <laughs> this is this is from Wikipedia. Then, if you would like, you would prefer that. <sighs> the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a comedy science fiction franchise created by Douglas Adams, originally a 1978 radio comedy broadcast on BBC Radio Four. It was later adapted to other formats, including stage shows, novels, comic books, a 1981 TV series, a 1984 video game, and a 2005 feature film. Douglas Adams was born in Cambridge, England in 1952. 
He was a man, a tall man. He was a tall man with a talent for writing. Mixing science fiction and comedy was his bag, man. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy has become an international multimedia phenomenon. The books have been translated into more than 30 languages. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was ranked fourth on the BBC's The Big Read Poll. It was followed by The Restaurant at the End of the Universe, Life, the Universe, and Everything, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, Young Zathod Plays It Safe. A sixth novel was written by Ian Colfer with additional unpublished materials by Douglas Adams. The broad narrative of Hitchhiker follows the misadventures of the last surviving man, Arthur Dent, following the demolition of the Earth by a Vogon constructor fleet to make way for a hyperspace bypass. Dent is rescued from Earth's destruction by Ford Prefect, a human-like alien writer for the eccentric electronic travel guide, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, by hitchhiking onto a passing Vogon spaceship. Following his rescue, Den explores the galaxy with Prefect and encounters Trillian, another human who had been taken from Earth prior to its destruction, by the two-headed president of the galaxy, Zaphod Beeblebrox, and the depressed Marvin the Paranoid Android. Certain narrative details were changed among the various adaptations. Let's take a moment now to have the author speak to the complicated history of his most famous works. The following is from his introduction to the more than complete Hitchhiker's Guide, Omnibus. The history of the Hitchhiker's Guide is now so complicated that every time I tell it, I contradict myself. And whenever I do get it right, I'm misquoted. So the publication of this, the Omnibus edition, seemed like a good opportunity to set the record straight. Anything that is put down wrong here is, as far as I am concerned, wrong for good. The guide has appeared in so many forms, books, radio, a television series, records, and soon-to-be major motion picture, each time with a different storyline that even its most acute followers have become baffled at times. The radio series began in England in March 1978. The first series consisted of six programs, FITS as they were called, FITS 1 through 6. Easy. Later that year, one more episode was recorded and broadcast commonly known as the Christmas episode. It contained no reference of any kind to Christmas. It was called the Christmas episode because it was first broadcast on December 24th, which is not Christmas Day. After this, things began to get increasingly complicated. In the fall of 1979, the first Hitchhiker book was published in England called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It was substantially expanded version of the first four episodes of the radio series in which some of the characters behaved in entirely different ways and others behaved in exactly the same ways but in, for entirely different reasons, which amounts to the same thing, but saves rewriting the dialogue. In January 1985, new episodes of the series were broadcast on BBC Radio, all in one week, bringing the total number to 12 episodes. In the fall of 1980, the second Hitchhiker book was published in England around the same time that Harmony Books published the first book in the U.S. It was a very substantially reworked, re-edited, and contracted version of episodes 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 5, and 6, in that order, of the radio series, The Hitchhiker's Guide. In case that seemed too straightforward, the book was called The Restaurant at the End of the Universe, because it included the material from radio episode 5 of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was set in a restaurant called Millieways 
otherwise known as the restaurant at the end of the universe. Meanwhile, a series of six television episodes of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was made by the BBC and broadcast in January 1981. This was based more or less on the first six episodes of the radio series. In January 1982, Harmony Books published The Restaurant at the End of the Universe. In the summer of 1982, a third Hitchhiker book was published simultaneously in England and the United States called Life, the Universe, and Everything. This was not based on anything that had already been heard or seen on radio or television. In fact, it flatly contradicted episodes 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 of the radio series. I wrote a fourth and last in the trilogy, So Long and Thanks for the Fish. This was published in Britain and the USA in the fall of 1984, and it effectively contradicted everything to date, up to and including itself. Adams died of a heart attack on May 11, 2001. He was 49 at the time of his death. Two weeks later, fans of Adams organized the first Towel Day to celebrate his life and works. In 2003, pre-production began on the H2G2 film. Adams had been involved with early screenplays and concepts for the film. It was directed by Garth Jennings and starred Martin Freeman, Sam Rockwell, Mose Daff, Zoe Deschanel, and featured John Malkovich, Helen Mirren, Bill Nye, and the voices of Alan Rickman, Stephen Fry, and the League of Gentlemen. The film was released on April 28, 2005. Along with his various hitchhiker projects over the years, Adams also wrote for Doctor Who and was one of only two non-Monty Python members to write for the legendary Monty Python's Flying Circus. And that, David, is The Hitchhiker's Guide to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I hope you didn't panic. Not panicking yet. Um, Thank you, Troy, for providing that detailed um, um, history of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, Ira, can you tell us how you were first introduced to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Um, It was almost undoubtedly the first book. Yeah. Um, I read it and uh, I think like many people, well, aside from being, you know, incredibly amused, um, there just, there hadn't been anything quite like it. You know, it was it was something really fresh and original and, and just a tremendous amount of fun. And what was it about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that made it one of your favorites? Well, um, the, 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 the dry humor, certainly, um, you know, the not pandering, actually, of the humor. Um, Adams would do these very sophisticated jokes um, and clearly didn't care if you got them or not. I'd like to think I got most of them. Um, I'm sure there were ones that went over my head. Um, but just the fact that um, that he was willing to do something, that he assumed that his readership was intelligent enough to keep up with him, um, I, I really have a lot of respect for that. Yeah, there seems to be a a thread in a lot of British writing um, that contains the humor. And and you mentioned Lewis Carroll. um, And Lewis Carroll obviously mixes the humor with the the wild imagination. And then that runs through things like The Goons and Python. 
uh, and even a lot of John Lennon's work, which was influenced by both, you know, uh, Lewis Carroll and the goons. Um, and obviously that's something that you seem in touch with as well in your writing. Um, do you want to talk a, a little bit about that, the, the whole background of the humor there? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm glad you actually pointed out that Adams wrote for um, Monty Python in its final season, because um, I do think in some ways you can see Python influences, um, partially in, again, sort of the, the intellectual bent of a lot of the humor, um, and also partially the way that uh, Douglas Adams is willing to um, stop the narrative to go aside for a joke for a couple of paragraphs and then come back to the narrative, right? He's willing to, uh, um, and, and Python did that quite a bit. It was constantly interrupting its own narratives. Um, I always say when people ask me specifically about my humor that, um, that my touchstones were Monty Python and um, the Marx Brothers. And, and both of them taught me two valuable lessons. And I do think you can see them both in, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, volume and to some extent variety. Um, volume, Python just piled the jokes on one after the other very fast. It's a kind of a blink and you'll miss something, but that's okay. Because once you've stopped blinking, there's another joke right after that, right? And um, you can see this very much in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series where where. Uh, there's constantly different forms of humor coming through all the time. Uh, so, you know, volume of jokes, very thick, very fast. Um, but the thing about that is that a large part of what makes humor uh, work is the element of surprise, right? And the problem with doing a large volume of the same kind of humor is that um, eventually the uh, viewer or the reader will catch up with what you're doing, uh, and the um, the you'll lose the surprise element, and the humor won't feel as funny to that person. Uh, so um, what Python did was it would have the most sophisticated stuff, and it would follow it with you know physical humor, with you know really dumb stuff occasionally, uh, just constantly mixing it up so that the viewer was constantly kind of off balance. Um, I don't think Adams does it quite to the extent that Python did it, but you can see that he is working with different types of humor. He's got the kind of wry voice um, of the omniscient narrator that kind of goes through everything. Um, but then again, uh, there's some satirical stuff starting from the very concept of the um, you know, the earth being destroyed for a, a galactic highway, inter, interpass, bypass, not even the highway itself, but just an off-ramp, um, which is, um, and, and I think that it's indicative of the, the, the sort of gentle satire that uh, runs all throughout um, his writing, all throughout his books. Um, so you've got a lot of, so you do have some different things that kind of mix it up. Um, that is, sorry, the long answer to your very short question. No, that's great. And, you know, it, it really seems that his timing was perfect because science fiction had gone from being uh, 
quite un- sometimes in film quite unintentionally funny with campiness and then went through a whole phase in the era of 2001 of of being quite serious you know this is this is about all of the big big questions and big answers and he was able to uh deal with some of those big big questions but in a very funny way and i think that freshness was needed at the time i don't know if you agree with that or not but Oh, absolutely. When I think about, you know, so what made Douglas Adams such a phenomenon? There are, to me, are two aspects to it. The one, obviously, he is at the height of his game. He's just a very funny writer. He's a very, very good writer. But there were other humorous science fiction writers uh, around um, that didn't quite get as, as much attention as he did. Um, and I think the other uh, important aspect of what made him such a phenomenon was that there wasn't anybody doing exactly what he was doing. He was fresh. He was new. Um, and part of the reason why uh, I think that analysis is important is because, you know, since The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, there have been a number of people who've been writing humorous science fiction. And you can tell when they are trying to mimic Adam's voice in order to grasp at the uh, popularity that Adam's got. And you can mimic somebody's voice. You know, that, that can be done. And I've actually seen people who do it quite well. But you can't replicate his newness. The fact that you're trying to replicate his voice means, by definition you're not going to be doing something new. And so they often forget that the second half of his phenomenal success, the the freshness of his voice, uh, is an important part of what you need to do to be a successful comedy science fiction writer. So, Ira, as we know from the the very extensive and uh, well-researched background that I gave our listeners, um, there, w- there was a lot out there. There was a lot happening with hitchhikers. So um, of the various forms uh, from the series that, that, that was spawned under the title of Hitchhiker's Guide, um, how would you rank them? <laughs> um, I think the, the books are probably the uh, the best uh, i would say go to the books first for sure and a large part of that whether they contradict themselves whether they contradict the the other versions um is because the books by definition are the richest there's the most material um in the the particularly the first trilogy um what may give me pause to suggest the books is just that the fourth and fifth books were not able to maintain the level of humor that the the original trilogy um, established, shall we say? Um, but still, I think uh, to spend the most amount of time in the most fully realized version of Adam's world, you have to go to the books. Um, second to the books, I would say would be the radio series because uh, it was the original inspiration. It was his original sort of 
working out of the ideas and that's always fun to uh, to experience uh, the TV series was what it was, and the film was what it was, and um, there are pleasures to be had, but by then, uh, particularly by the film, um, the story is so familiar that um, it, doesn't, it doesn't grab one, or didn't grab me anyway, uh, as much as the previous versions. I have to admit, I haven't played the game or read the comic books, so... Uh, I can't really judge them um, in terms of where they fit. Oh, yeah. nice towel. Yeah, we got our towel. That's one of the things we should have mentioned the, at the beginning of this whole podcast was that we all have our towels with us, um, which reminds me of a story of a friend of mine from years ago who made a towel reference. He was uh, dating this woman and he just brought up the idea of, well, it's, it's handy having a towel or whatever it is that he said. And she got it right away. She got the reference. And let's just say that they have been uh, happy together for decades. Um, so that's my relationship. I wanted to ask. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you know where your towel is? Exactly. That was, I think, the actual question that he asked her. He actually asked her, do you know where your towel is? Um, unless that's what she asked him. But however it worked, they knew that it was right from the beginning. Um, so one of the things is because they do have these other aspects. Like, for example, I, I have a memory, and I think it might have been from the TV series, that they had, of course, a serious cybernetics core. And they had this jingle. Now, you can't really hear the jingle when you're reading the novel. So in the novel, I think they mentioned how it, how uh, the serious cybernetic core referred to them as your plastic pal who's fun to be with. Now, in the series, from my memory, they actually turned it into a jingle, an advertisement for you to try to buy these robots. And there was this robot on the beach with a woman in a bikini, and they were tossing a beach ball between them. And there was an actual jingle that went something like, your plastic pal who's fun to be with. And I think that aspect of that, I thought was brilliant. And also the movie, like, for example, the, the, some of the things that they did, they twisted things around, they put things in different order. That song, which I think is one of the more underrated songs, and from my memory, like, you know, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, which I think was a finalist for song of the year when it came to the Oscars from my memory. I think I remember hearing it being sung on the Oscar broadcast. If I, I may not have that accurate, but to do everything that they did with that, with these different series and with the radio playing with everything else, I think each one has its own aspect. That's good. They have their own personality. Yeah. I, I would agree that all of the versions use or all of the versions I'm familiar with use the medium in which they're working um, in which they exist uh, very well um, I did some radio sketch comedy in my younger days and um, really have an appreciation for how you create soundscapes in radio for instance um, and the the original radio series does that extremely well uh, and then, as you say, how they um, uh, fill out the visuals in the TV series and the um, and the movie is uh, again takes takes advantage of 
the strengths of those media. So yes, absolutely kudos for, for doing that. Yeah, there's a real magic to those original radio broadcasts, you know, that brings back sort of the golden age of theater of the mind, um, just how it conveys so much. And I don't know if it's because maybe that was my first um, exposure was hearing the audio versions of, of Hitchhiker's Guide, but um, it, it certainly pulled me in right away. And it was a world that I, you know, didn't ever want to leave really. <laughs> one of the best recommendations you can make for something is that, uh, that uh, the author has created a world that you would love to live in and experience. Yeah. Yeah. And how he just comments on like, like throughout the whole novel, he's making comments about how, what our situation is, even though it's of course going on in other parts of the universe. Now I wanted to mention that, Years ago, I was on some panels with Paul Salivar at Polaris, or it may have been Toronto Trek back in those days in Toronto, an annual convention uh, in July. And there were actual Vogon poetry panels. And I think we did two of them. This was Paul's idea. He was able to get the convention staff to say, agree to it. So we actually ran this. He, uh, uh, Paul and I did that. And what we did, we talked about Vogon poetry. We read a bit from Hitchhikers for some examples of, of this horrific poetry uh, we went into go what goes into actually creating awful poetry on purpose uh, the kind of poetry that's so horrific it actually uh, does get a reaction from those hearing it and, and, and those attended the panel wrote Vogon poems and read them aloud at, uh, to others in the room at the end and I thought it was the idea of using poetry as a torture device is quite brilliant makes you think that Douglas Adams may have attended a few poetry readings and open stages in his day but anyways the Vogon poetry is one of the things that Hitchhikers brought us that really connected with me just because of my poetry background. Can you let me know what were some of the things in the books that really connected with you? Um, I, I would start with uh, Marvin. Um, Marvin was one of the first artificial intelligences uh, housed in an Android, obviously, but one of the first AIs that actually had a personality. Um, and it was a personality that in my youth I could really um, identify with. Um, paranoid, depressed, you know, not very unhappy character. Um, and his dialogue, his interactions with Ford and Arthur um, was brilliant, right? Uh, uh, Adams was great, uh, a great dialogue writer. The other things I like are things like the short chapters and you actually get and something at the end that makes you want to read on. And of course, as you mentioned, the little quip where he does an aside and says, well, I'll now pick something from um, uh, the um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and I will just throw that in. Or I'll mention something about the, uh, the, Babel, the, the Babel fish or Babelfish, or however you pronounce it, the um, the idea that that's one of the things that's always bothered science fiction because you meet other races and how do you actually communicate? And in some cases with Star Trek, you've got the um, ability for the computer to be able to do that. With the TARDIS and Doctor Who, the TARDIS itself made that possible. If you don't deal with that and come up with some way of being able to communicate, how do you communicate? So Ira, in... 
the Hitchhiker's Guide, we have one of the most quotable works of the 20th century. Uh, are there any quotes that, that have stayed with you over the years that jump out or are always in the back of your mind? Um, you know what? Not, not quotes so much, although uh, incidents more, um, like the, um, the whale falling through the uh, atmosphere, and and I guess this is a quote. The the what is it? A pot of petunias next to him, and yes. the last thought of the pot of petunias is, "Oh, not again." <laughs> um, yeah, th- things like that uh, stand out to me. Uh, I understand you guys had some quotes that you wanted to throw out. Well, for me, it's not so much a quote either. Really, it's just the whole idea about the Thursday. And um, ever since I was very young, my grandfather passed away on a Thursday. And ever since then, I always thought, oh, Thursdays are not good. Thursdays are bad news. So, uh, yeah, when I came across that the first time, it's like, yes, somebody else understands this. David, did you have uh, a quote? Yeah, 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 I I do. One of them, I'll just read this, is, um, and and this is just, again, uh, Douglas Adams' brilliant writing. Um, one of the major difficulties Trillian experienced in her relationship with Zaphod was learning to distinguish between him pretending to be stupid mm. just to get people off their guard, pretending to be stupid because he couldn't be bothered to think and wanted someone else to do it for him, pretending to be outrageously stupid to hide the fact that he actually didn't understand what was going on and really being genuinely stupid, uh, genuinely stupid. Um, one of the things is kind of neat because uh, I attend this uh, group that's uh, called um, Serial Diners. There's a thing called Single Pages. Well, what they do is they just determine just before getting together, they have a bunch of books in the room and they decide what page they're going to read from. So say it's 54. Next year it might be 107, whatever it is. They, and this year they just did an example. There's for some people that attended the meeting and didn't know about it. They picked 54. So what I do is I grab my copy of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, turn to page 54. You're supposed to read the whole page. That's for single pages. We weren't. We we're just giving examples. And I said, well, I've looked at the very first line on page 54, and I'll bet you in 15 words, if I were to read it out, you would all know the novel. Then we started to think, should we play a game? Maybe we'll, I'll, I'll name it in eight words. I'll name it in six. One of the people could have said, I'll name it in zero, because he already knew the book I was referring to. The book I was referring to was The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And on page 54, let me just pull it up here. On page 54, Chances of getting picked up by another ship within those 30 seconds are 2 to the power of 276,709 to 1 against. Now, that's a bit more than the 15 words. But once I read the beginning of that, they immediately knew the book. How many books can you say they could pick a random line from anywhere in the novel and know the novel? That is quite rare, yes. He had a unique voice. One of the things I did want to point out was just because for me, science fiction is its best when it talks about metaphor, when you identify with the characters, when you get emotionally drawn in and there's so much humor and there's so much pathos and there's just so much going on in the novel. But suddenly you've got these emotional, fantastic 
moments. And these are the ones that, that jump out at me. The one of them was, I was watching it in the film, the 2005 film, was the point of view gun. Uh, that's a gun where you would shoot it at someone and they would actually understand what you're going through. And when um, Trillian aims a point of view gun at Zaphod after, and she wasn't even going to do that until, you know, she's reacting in such a way that she can't stand him because of what has happened. And she says, why so edgy baby doll relax. And she says, well, relax. I'm going to point this gun at you. And then he's the one saying what she's feeling. And, he's, and she says, of course, you're edgy. Your planet has been blown up. You've been toiling around the galaxy with a guy who signed the order. You actually wanted to know the question because you always wanted to know if there's more to life. And now you've, you're, you're a crushed because you find that there really isn't. You've got no home, no family, and you're stuck with me, another in a long line of men who doesn't really get you. And you're worried you might have blown it with the one guy who really does. So that kind of thing was just so emotional and powerful. And also with um, Arthur Dent at the end when he's going to have his brain taken out and he says, well, go right ahead. Fine. Take it because my head is filled with questions. I can assure you there's no answer to any one of them that has brought me an iota of happiness except for one, the one, the only question I've ever wanted an answer to. Is she the one? The answer bloody well isn't 42. It's yes, undoubtedly, unequivocally, unabashedly yes. So that's such a powerful, brilliant, emotional moment. And that's what I think is the best from uh, Douglas Adams in my, uh, in what I believe. Well, I'm certainly not going to be able to talk that, but um, if I could go in a somewhat different direction, um, one of the things I wanted to uh, bring up was uh, the actual purpose of the Hitchhiker's Guide in the narrative. Now, uh, this is something that uh, I talk a lot about on panels at conventions. I get uh, roped into panels on um, expositions and info dumps and how it's really important to be able to uh, have enough information so that the reader can understand what your world is, um, but not have it interfere with the actual narrative. And what, what the, one of the things that the actual guide within the novels does is it gives Adams a funny way of world building. It gives him a way of saying, uh, okay, this is how this reality functions in this novel. Um, I think that's uh, a really important thing because as I say on those panels, for a comedy writer, exposition is death. Okay, some writers can get away with info dumps because, you know, they're serious novels and this is serious world building, so it kind of fits. The problem in a, in a comic novel is if you stop the action for an info dump, the reader will stop laughing and they immediately know they're not laughing and it takes them right out of the novel. Um, this is uh, actually a lesson I learned. In my novels, I often use the uh, articles written for the alternate reality news service in the same way Adams uses the Hitchhiker's Guide as a way of um, filling in the reader on details on how my world works so that um, I can do it in both a funny way that doesn't stop the flow of the humor, but also gets to the point. 
Um, there's a lot, I guess, my point is there's a lot that humorous science fiction writers can learn uh, from studying how Adams builds his stories in Hitchhiker's Guide. For sure. And, uh, you know, generally, uh, whether it's genre or not, uh, I generally don't want a lot of exposition. Most of us, I think, don't. Um, but with Douglas Adams, you want it. It's like, tell me more. Tell me more. I want to hear that voice. I feel comforted when you're talking to me. Just keep it coming, please. And uh, there's very few writers who are able to pull off um, sort of an authorial voice uh, the way Douglas Adams does, where you want more. Mm-hmm. And there are very few writers who sustain it. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed a lot about uh, humorous novels uh, generally is that by about the uh, three quarters, four fifths mark, the humor starts to drop off because the author has to bring the plot home. So they have to get the plot done. And oftentimes they don't have a nece- don't necessarily have a funny way of doing that. Um, but, and again, this is something I learned from Adams. Um, it is certainly possible to maintain that comic voice throughout while still giving a satisfying story. Thanks a lot, Ira. Now, uh, someone's holding up a sign um, saying that we've only got five minutes left. And um, oh, wow. this is all happening in real life. Like if, if fans are listening to the podcast, they hear all this crinkling paper, or they hear people walk in the background or other things going on. We're living our lives uh, during a pandemic and we're not in the studio. So we don't have the control over that. So we do apologize. So with with five minutes left, I was, we just basically have maybe two questions. I'll have one and Troy will have one. So for me in finding out more about the hitchhiker book, the sequels, the radio play, the TV series, the moves and, and so on. What, are there any surprises, things that you did not know about the book that you may have learned uh, later in life? I, I didn't know that Adams wrote a computer game, uh, actually. Uh, I think it was called uh, Starship Titanic. Um, and uh, so perhaps I should back up a bit. Um I've, I've done a couple of panels at conventions on the question of the author or the artwork. Um, and I often challenge people, when you say you like Doug, when you say you love the Hitchhiker, uh, when you say you're a fan of Douglas Adams, are you a fan of Adams as a writer or a fan of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? And one of the sort of tests for that is how much people liked Dirk Gently. Right. A lot of people say, oh, I love Douglas Adams, but I hated Dirk Gently. And it's like, okay, then you didn't love Douglas Adams. You loved The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is not quite the same thing. Uh, Another test is, do you know about some of his other more obscure works? Have you read Meaning of Lith? Uh, Have you read Last Chance to See? Right. Again, if you're a Douglas Adams fan, then the answer should be yes. If you were a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fan, the answer is probably no. So uh, the fact that there was, that he wrote a computer game um, that I found online but could never make to work, which is one of the most frustrating things in my life. Um, But just the fact that he did that, uh, the only reason I discovered that was because I think Terry Jones or one of the Pythons wrote a novelization of the game. 
So I've, I've picked up the novelization and read that, um, but I've never actually experienced the game itself. So that um, that was uh, quite a surprise to me. Um, Ira, I just wanted to ask you quickly, um, can you tell us a little bit about your current project, speaking of funny writers? Oh, my goodness. I should know I by now I don't answer anything quickly. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm currently working on uh, what will be my... T- novel which is a surprise to me because I never actually wanted to be a novelist Um, it's called Bad Actors it is the uh, concluding chapter of the Alien Refugees trilogy Uh, the second novel in the the trilogy is currently at the publisher and uh, I'm just waiting for his uh, edits Um, so that's uh, something and if people are curious uh, about my writing um, they should uh, they can find me on amazon.com they can find all my works there or the novels in particular uh, they can find at Elsewhen Press which is a small British science fiction publisher they do amazing work I've loved everything that I've read by their other authors so um, if you're uh, willing to take a chance on a publisher who does stuff that's a little out of the mainstream, um, you should absolutely check them out. Uh, I should also mention that next year, 2022, will mark the 20th anniversary of Les Pajot Fall, my website. Uh, that's uh, www.lespagesfolles.ca. Uh, there, uh, that is kind of my playground. That's where all the sort of raw ideas get played out. Um, I have published weekly updates of topical political satire and other things uh, since 2002. Uh, all of the alternate reality news service books started online, and you can read them all for free there. But you want to get the print version anyway because it's so much more fun to hold these things in your hand. Uh, but there's all sorts of other writing. There's cartoons. Um, I s- suspect that by by the time the 20th anniversary comes, I will have written something like 2 million words for that project. So um, wow. if you are, if you're into political satire and if you like sort of my writing, my voice, my take on things, uh, there's a lot there to discover. So those are a couple of uh, sort of major things. Uh, and there's new stuff every week. It's still an ongoing concern. Well, thanks a lot, Ira, for being our, our guest. I think our time is up, but thank you so much of uh, your insights and what you know about it and what you shared. That, that, that was great. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Ira. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to uh, this episode. It's great to have Ira on talking about Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, be sure to check out uh, Ira Naiman at, uh, from all the info that he uh, gave you for, with his website. And uh, check out our previous episodes if you haven't already. Uh, this has been Two Old Farts. I am Troy Harkin. And I am David Clink. Take See care, everyone. Time. Bye-bye. Bye.